welcome back to Educate Ebony, the prog edition. Hope you're doing well. We're on episode eight. Very, very, very excited about this episode and my guest. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's just recap last episode where I spoke to my old uni lecturer, Rick Chu. Uh, amazing chat. If you haven't listened in yet, he is a composer, pianist, he's a lecturer. He's well-versed in the arts world and the music world as well. And yeah, he was my first introduction to prog rock, took an elective back in uni and spent three hours on a Friday morning watching music videos and talking about prog. It was awesome. Very, very cool. And he told me to listen to the Genesis album, A Trick of the Tail. And that one is when Phil Collins stepped up to be the vocalist. I think I'm going to say that this album is probably my favorite so far of the season. I don't know what it is. Maybe I just really vibe super hard with 70s prog rock, but A Trick of the Tale is amazing and I loved every second of it. Ripples was my favorite track. I just love the chorus or like the lead into the chorus. It's just, I don't know what it is. I don't have the technical musical words for what they do, but it catches my attention. It holds it, even though it's, you know, all the songs are so long. That's amazing. I also really like Squonk. I think Robbery, Assault and Battery was very interesting because that's the one where he's sort of, he's singing and he is the characters and he, oh, you got to listen to it, go listen to it. But that's very interesting, that song. And then Los Endos, the last track on the album was where Rick said they brought back a lot of the, are they called motifs? Well, they just repeated, if you listen to the episode, you get it, but they brought back a lot of um, aspects from previous songs and sort of recapped it in Los Endos. And I'm really, really proud of myself because I actually heard it. I think there was um, a little a little riff in there and I'm like, oh, that sounds like the first track. And then the album rolled around again and it was a little riff from Dance on a Volcano. So this one is a winner for me. So hell yes. But let's get to this episode. Before we do, I know we're all excited, but if you haven't already or if you're interested in, come find me on socials, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Educate Ebony have to say I'm not a huge fan of Twitter. Instagram is probably where it's at. Also Facebook. And if you do like what you hear, feel free to give me a little rating, throw some stars my way. But let's get into this episode. I know this is what you're here for. Alrighty guys, I think you've heard me get all nervous and excited for guests before, but it's going to happen again because on this episode of Educate Ebony, the prog edition, I'd love to introduce Jordan Rudess. He is the keyboardist and multi-instrumentalist extraordinaire for platinum-selling, Grammy-nominated prog rock band Dream Theatre. His involvement in the music scene beyond Dream Theatre is so vast that I can't list everything, but he has released multiple solo records, composed classical compositions, founded Wisdom Music, which has developed award-winning music apps, and just so much more. And I think that we owe a lot of the progressive rock genre to Dream Theatre. So, Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. That was such a lovely introduction, but I want to correct one important thing. Oh, yes. Which is that, yes, we were Grammy nominated, but we also just won a Grammy. Oh, my God. I didn't correct it. Ah, oh, well, congratulations. That's all right. It's recent, right? That's worth correcting. Because yes. our bio has changed. Oh, my goodness. Right. How does we, it feel? We won, a Grammy for our, we won a Grammy for our song that is in 17-8 time signature, The Alien. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited about it. It's fun for people to know that such a thing could happen to a progressive metal band. Yes. 17-8 as well. Not exactly a usual time signature. So my message is, kids out there, keep dreaming. (laughs) 
100%. Anything can happen. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you have been um, touring your latest album, A View from the Top of the World, like all this year pretty much. How's it been getting back on stage and touring again, especially after you basically couldn't? It's been amazing. I got to tell you that I, it didn't, there's a part of me that didn't feel like it was going to happen because of kind of obvious reasons. I mean, the world is in such a crazy spot and, you know, there's so much discussion between band and crew and promoters and all the whole COVID thing. And I was thinking, yeah, I know it's planned, but is it really going to happen? I was thinking, nah, it's probably not. But then next thing you know, I'm on the tour bus, we're on the road, we're touring all over the US and Canada. And then all of a sudden we're in Europe and we're, you know, going to a different country every day. And it happened. And I just got home from Istanbul from two months on the road in oh. Europe. And it was a whirlwind. And it was really exciting. I mean, it's great to get out there. The fans are just eating it up. They're loving being out and hearing music again. I mean, there is a reality that some fans are not coming out because, you know, they might have whatever feeling of perspective about, you know, the world these days. And, you know, so the numbers at times are not as good as they could be and will be when, you know, things get back to normal. But I got to say, you know, I looked out at the audiences every night and it felt great. And, you know, I just saw the, the engagement and people so into it and made me feel good. And I, you know, tried to bring my best performance to the table every night. And, and this, you know, there's definitely a kind of elation that goes with, you know, a dream theater performance. And I guess I'm just talking about even just personally, you know, we get to that point where we're playing one of our epic tracks and it's just like, wow, this is a real, high, this is a serious high, mm. you know, being in a band with these guys who can play their asses off and just, you know, make this kind of music and, feel that kind of like energy from the audience it's it's really amazing yeah it definitely so, would be yeah oh now i guess prog is an incredibly varied genre and i think it means a lot of different things to different people so before we even get started what is your interpretation of prog rock well i see uh you know progressive rock as a style which takes the basic elements of rock the kind of power uh the instrumentation and brings it to like a, almost like a higher level or stretches it out, if you will. If you think about all the elements that go into making music, like, you know, harmony and melody, rhythm. Well, progressive rock is music that has a rock energy, but it takes each of those elements and it makes it even a little bit deeper. You could say it, it advances on them. So the rhythmic context could be, you know, like Dream Theater playing in 17-8 instead of just 4-4 four, four time, which is the basic stuff. Or playing chords that are not just simple, what they call it, one, four, five, you know, uh, basic rock chords like you'd find maybe like in an ACDC song. Nothing against ACDC because I like them. But, you know, but progressive rock means you're going to take that and you're going to progress. You're going to move, move it to another level. Um, so in every, in every way, that's kind of to me what progressive rock means. And, you know, the only thing I'll add to that is that some people say, think of progressive rock as... The music of like the 70s, like the mm -hmm. Yes and the Genesis, you know, that style, if you're playing progressive rock means you're doing the that. Well, from my point of view and my understanding, sure, you can do that and make music like the progressive rock of the 70s. But if you're truly making progressive rock, you're progressing and you're doing something that is a further advancement stylistically, harmonically, rhythmically, conceptually, all those kind of things. Cool. Well, I'm excited to hear what album you pick. What is the one album that we need to hear? 
Could we supply a drum roll or anything like that before I give the, the album up? I can put one in post. <laughs> okay, here comes the drum roll. Close to the Edge by Yes. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Why did you pick this album? Uh, that album came to me at a real turning point in my life. I was, uh, you know, a, I was a young classical musician. I was going to be a classical pianist. Uh, and then a lot of happened. I discovered synthesizers. Um, I discovered like some things that will have to be saved for another interview. They kind of like altered my, my consciousness and my perspective of music. And, you know, first time I turned a knob on a synthesizer and changed the filter or the pitch, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And hearing that energy and the glory of their sound really was a major turning point for me. There was only a few albums in my life that did that. And, and since today we're talking about Close to the Edge, that was one of them. No band to me had the majesty of Yes. I felt like I was like, you know, standing on the top of a mountain or something like that. And with, you know, just this incredible rush from the sky. Like it was just, it was another state of mind. It, it still is when you listen to that music, the beauty of John Anderson's voice, the incredible, you know, harmonic sense of like Rick Wakeman and, you know, all everybody just doing what they did creating magic on that album literally i i do know a little bit about yes but i haven't heard this album i've heard uh is it roundabout the one with the world on the album cover Round of fragile yeah that's and roundabout's one of the songs it's yeah, a great there album we go. yeah i do quite like that was this sort of the first time that you'd ever heard music like this or you'd heard other other proggy things going on and this this came out and you were like mm, that's the one I had heard some other things, I think even before that, a little bit of Genesis, and maybe some ELP, but this was in that time period where I was getting exposed to these amazing, you know, progressive rock masterpieces. There was a lot of great, I think partly because this style was emerging too in those days. This is when they were ex- kind of expanding on the basics, the fundamentals of rock. You had these, you know, all these incredible groups, the Genesis, the Yes, the Pink Floyd, the Gentle Giant, the King Crimsons, the Jethro Tull. It was a movement, you know, in, in our world. It was, it was very important because it set the stage for, you know, a lot of uh, amazing things to come. And so amazing when it did set the stage that there were periods of time after that where progressive rock is kind of lulled because it's hard to reinvent Progressive rock was all about inventing a new style, right? So how often can you really even progress? I mean, you got to come up with something new. You got to do something different. I mean, I guess, you know, from a particular perspective, you could look at a group like Dream Theater as being a real progressive group because they weren't necessarily doing just what Yes and Genesis were doing, but they found a way to mix virtuosity. This is before I was in the group. They found a way to mix virtuosity and metal with those harmonic and rhythmic ideas and put it all together to become kind of like progressive metal. So when I joined the group, the guys had kind of like made that impact. And then I kind of helped them with my perspective and my background to, you know, kind of keep this band kind of like in motion and doing like really cool stuff. But the, but the stylistic influence of dream theater is, is kind of like something that, you know, I don't mean this to sound egotistical because I wasn't even in the group then, but it, it will kind of go down in history as a pivoting point for the way rock music progressed into progressive rock and then progressive metal. Yeah. 
Definitely. And I do think um, because you said you were classically trained as well, I think that that sort of technical and very proper music style does lend itself a lot to prog rock and then I guess to prog metal. So do you feel like it was just a natural progression for you once you heard like, yes, to be like, great, here's how I can sort of veer off a little bit, but still stay on the same path? Yeah. I mean, that music made so much sense to me because, I mean, you had like a keyboard player like Rick Wakeman, who is also like classically trained uh, in the UK. And I could kind of, for me, that was an easy bridge to make to understand that because, you know, here were really good players, but they were playing in the rock genre. So uh, I think that made it more possible for me to uh, kind of like really, really enjoy and appreciate the, you know, the musicality behind it. Yeah. And I guess as a pianist and keyboardist, was that what attracted you at first? Or then you were like, oh, actually, every single instrument in here is so elevated and so amazing that you start to branch out even further? Well, first, it was the energy of it. Probably the bowls were the first thing I noticed. I mean, John Anderson, you know, has to, to me, like one of the most beautiful voices, you know, ever. Like just, you know, and, and certainly vocals and vocalists are very personal. Like some one person could, you know, hear a singer and say, I don't know, you know, if I don't like it that much. Or somebody else could hear the same person and, and it really touches them. It's almost like relationships with people, either mm-hmm. in tune with somebody or, you. well, you know, my relationship with Yes and, and John Anderson's voice was very personal because that voice really touches me and means something to me. So that was the first thing I really responded to. And then, you know, then you listen to them play and, you know, you hear the note choices and the, you know, the virtuosity within their music. And you go, wow, this is some amazing stuff. Plus, you know, in those days, the sounds were really kind of like new. So when um, yeah. Rick Wakeman, then with his Minimoog sound, there's this riff that was a big statement. You hadn't heard a sound like that, this kind of monophonic, powerful you know, all out Moog solo, you know, that was amazing. And the, his, his approach even to the Hammond organ is a classic, uh, you know, Hammond solo on that song. And it was like, people didn't hear that kind of thing before no. played him. So um, it was, you know, the combination of elements uh, and the timing of it just was really, really important. Definitely. Oh, is there an aspect of this album that you absolutely love that you think that others might overlook for example me on first listen it's just going to be everything at once I guess and then you know you listen a bit further and you find out little aspects you're like oh I really like that riff or that key change or whatever else there what should I look out for well this kind of music like close to the edge is the kind of album that when you do listen to it you'll you know the, the mind can only absorb so much at one time and there's a lot going and some some of my very favorite progressive rock albums I might have liked the first time I heard it, but I liked more the second, more the third. And by the 10th time I heard it, I was like, oh, my God, I love this. Because you need time to hear all the instrumentation and everything that's going on. There's so many harmonies. There's so many interesting rhythms that, you know, you just want to give it the time. I mean, for me, especially, you know, listening to it in those days, when the recording, when the quality of the recording was... You know, that that is how people made records, that sound. If you listen to it now, you don't want to get thrown off by the fact that this is a record made in the early 70s. You know, it's like it sounds different. You know, somebody who's used to like, you know, popular dance music might think, oh, well, it's this weird, you know, sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all the super high tech digital, like, you know, 
you know, extremely clean, polished recording. It's what they had then. So the first thing to do is to relax and, you know, kind of get by that. And then to listen to the music and listen to what's going on there. It's amazing. Definitely. And you said before that, you know, on your first listen, you might not like it or you like it, but, you know, it gets better and better with every listen. When or do you remember when it became an important album to you? Was it the first listen or a years later or when do you think? It wasn't, you know, I kept listening to it. It was enough that, you know, when I first listened to it, I got to hear this again. Wow. Like, wow. What did I just hear? And so I would listen to it again and again. And then I was like, this is awesome. So it's, it's, it's you know, Close to the Edge is, well, it's obviously a top album because that's what we're discussing. But, you know, of all the records that have influenced me, it's, it's still, I'd say, like the top three of what I think is just, you know, some gift from God or something, you know, like this, it's incredible. Some of the music that's landed, you know, on our planet for us to hear. It's just, where does it come from? How does that, you know, the yeah. amazing like, combination of players and timing and, you know, whatever forces came together to, to do that. I mean, some people, some people say that about like scenes from a memory from dream theater, you know, so it's, it's different and it's different for everybody. You know, it depends who you are, when you're hearing it, what, you know, what this situation circumstances are and you, and as a musician, you hope that your music can, you know, influence and affect a lot of people that way. You know, so that's kind of like amazing when that happens. And then you feel like, wow, this was this was greater than just like, you know, any one of us. Like if somebody says that to me about scenes from memory, Dream Theater's album, uh, my the first one I made, I go, wow, that's amazing. And it's amazing because obviously there were powers in play that went way beyond any one of us, you know, so it's fascinating. And I think that Close to the Edge is an album that, is like that. I think so. Well, obviously you've chosen it for this one and we're in 2022 and it was made, what, 50, 50-ish years ago, round about there. Do you think that uh, in another 50 years, people will still be like, pivotal moment, the 70s, pivotal moment for prog rock, obviously, and they'll still be looking back and going like, yeah, that was great. Yeah, definitely. I believe that's true. I think so. I think so. And my last question, I believe you've sort of already answered it um, in terms of how many times I need to listen to this album, which is a lot. But what are my listening notes? How should I listen to this album? Should I be in a certain place? Should I definitely play it a certain amount of times? What do you recommend? Of course, you want to find some really good LSD. And then after you find that, <laughs> now throw it away. <laughs> no. what, you should do, what you should do is clear your schedule get a really nice system maybe even if you can play it on a nice uh, turntable with a proper system and you know where it sounds really good and uh and just make the time to really like listen and check it out don't listen to it as background music you have to listen to it to uh you know to really focus on it you know too often people are listening to music as like background or they'll listen to something out of their iphone or this or that but an album like this that, that makes such a statement needs to be heard, you know, out of really, a really good system. And also you need the time to put aside. And the albums weren't that long those days. I mean, you know, all of that close to the edge is probably, you know, what, like 40 minutes altogether or something like that or less. I don't remember, but it's not long. Because on the album, there's close to the edge and then there's and you and I on the other side of the vinyl, right? So you got to um, just make sure you have, let's say an hour to enjoy it. Oh, 
Yeah. Also sounds like I need to get the vinyl, which I'm not opposed to. Well, I mean, you can hear it out of a, C- a CD or, or, you know, whatever, just as long no. as it's a, it's just fun to hold the vinyl. The, you know, when I think of that album, that's, you know, that's what was going on in the days when it came out. And uh, maybe it's kind of cool to appreciate it in its proper form. That's right. Look, on your recommendation, I will probably buy the vinyl. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And you have to report back to what you think after you've heard it a few times. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, is there anything else Good. about this Good. album that we need to know before we wrap it up? Well, I don't think so. I think I covered a lot of, a lot of the things I can think of about. Yeah. Yeah. It's really special. Happy to, happy to have a chance to talk about it and recommend it to people. Yes, definitely. Oh, well, there we have it. The one prog album that Jordan Rudess of Dream Theater thinks that you and I should listen to is Close to the Edge by Yes. Jordan, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. Thanks, Ebony. I'm, I'm happy to chat with you today and, and uh, spread the prog rock, you know, goodness to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful. I'll remember this for the rest of my life. Oh, thanks so much. Nice to meet you here.